Hello there, everybody. Thank you for joining an impromptu uh, call in this afternoon. Now, as with the headlines that typically adorn written articles, this one is a bit intentionally provocative and maybe not the most factually accurate in every sense of the word because I can't prove I can't causally connect my action to the abolition of a vaccine passport initiative this week in a city, a city that doesn't get a whole lot of national attention typically, uh, Newark, New Jersey, but a city that I, ha- I happen to live somewhat proximate to, which I was aware had incidents to do with this program. Um, but the uh, chronology maybe leads to the inference that I had something to do with it. So I just wanted to uh, kind of explain what happened and maybe kind of delve into some of the potentially broader implications because they're, they're pretty interesting at this stage, um, which is that, you know, the context is that across the country, you do see a number of cities that have begun to repeal or rescind their vaccine passport programs that had been instituted in large part uh, because of the wave of, quote, Omicron or Okamon, as I had become accustomed to calling it. And just this past week, Seattle, Washington, D.C., Philadelphia, some other places uh, announced that they were getting rid of their proof of vaccine uh, requirements. And now this doesn't necessarily mean that the policy infrastructure that had already been activated to impose these policies in the first place is necessarily going to be abolished because once a jurisdiction or a slew of jurisdictions take an unprecedented policy step, it means they sort of have now the wherewithal to reactivate that policy at their discretion. So if should there be any future quote-unquote waves, you know, they've already done the legwork to make it so that they can just on a whim enact a proof of vaccine requirement. But nonetheless, these heavily democratic cities, cities that are full of people who are, you know, more COVID conscious than the median American, have uh, uh, progressively moved to abolish, at least for now, these uh, proof of vaccine policies. And what does that indicate? Well, uh, first of all, I have to admit that I was somewhat surprised by this uh, in that I had the sense when these were first enacted that they'd become permanent or quasi-permanent, meaning they would not be subject to kind of immediate removal once the circumstances seemed to call for that or once the public officials in question in these jurisdictions thought that they could get away with repealing it because, you know, that's just often not how things like this work in terms of public policy. You know, once you get a measure in there, then it develops a whole inertia around it and becomes sort of just like a fixture of ordinary life and, you know, becomes an accomplishment that these mayors can cite on behalf of, you know, the public welfare Whatnot, and certainly, you know, especially in places like Seattle or uh, even Boston, where they're now allegedly contemplating getting rid of the mandate. 
Um, these mayors probably could have kept them in place in perpetuity uh, if there was enough of a public desire for it, right? Because, I mean, if the, the few places that are more filled with kind of these affluent, liberal, COVID-conscious types than a Seattle or a Boston. And, yet, and so for even in those places, for the policy to now be on the verge of totally uh, being rescinded speaks to maybe some of the folly associated with the policy. And, you know, maybe it's because that these public officials in the public health bureaucracy or in the mayor's office or whatnot finally, after all this time, realized that there's really no good empirical evidence virtually anywhere in the world that vaccine passport policies actually curb the spread of the virus, which is what they claim was the whole reason behind it. So that could be the explanation, although I doubt it. I think the explanation probably is a more just nakedly political one, which is that there was enough resentment, enough backlash against these policies, and the support for them was tepid enough that they can't really justify keeping them in place in, in place any longer. I mean, I think if they perceived it as within their political interest to keep them in place for as long as possible, they'd more than likely do so in Seattle or Boston or other comparably, uh, you know, democratic cities. But they're not. And, you know, where does that folly derive from? Well, I mean, if you've experienced any of these policies firsthand, you'll know that typically the um, person who's been deputized to check your vaccine status at a restaurant or a cafe or a bar or entertainment venue or whatever, typically they only do the most cursory check possible, right? I mean, they only glance at it, you know, even if it's just a screenshot on your phone. And it's trivially easy, if you wanted to, to just mock up a fake version of that. So, I mean, there's no kind of quality assurance here, really, uh, for the, in the main. And you know, that, that folly or that kind of the absurdity of the enforcement mechanism was really made the most kind of plainly obvious to me in uh, Newark, New Jersey, when I went this past week to kind of look into how its own vaccine passport system was being enforced. Now, Newark is sort of unique among the other cities that I mentioned because it is not a hotspot of affluent urbane liberalism, right? I mean, it's a lower class, kind of poor city, um, historically, you know, riven by a lot of violence, although that has actually eased somewhat in recent years. You know, there's a, not much of a kind of like a white, frankly, uh, urban professional class there. Um, does not have anywhere near the same sort of, you know, human capital or economic output as like a nearby New York City, obviously. Uh, but nonetheless, the mayor, Ross Baraka, chose to basically mimic New York City's policy uh, in December and issue an executive order declaring, you know, that he was using, uh, of course, his emergency powers to uh, institute this proof of vaccine requirement. And it came into effect in January. And so... I wanted to see how that was being enforced because my hunch 
which, you know, of course I wanted to substantiate with firsthand observation and reporting and so on. My hunch was that the enforcement of this policy would be, let's say, somewhat lax because it's not like Newark, again, has these already kind of like news conscious types who, if they were like running a restaurant or running some other kind of venue, would take it upon themselves as like an ideological project or a social initiative to uh, really go either way to enforce the, the measure. Um, really, if it, the measure were to be enforced, it would be co- have to be because the city government took an aggressive uh, or assertive posture in, in ensuring that it was enforced. And I had doubts as to whether that was the case. And sure enough, when I went this week, I did sort of like a random sampling of different places that were covered under the, init- under the order. Uh, you know, restaurants, cafes, bakeries, bars, diners, whatever, right, in different sections of the city. And sure enough, not a single one of them was checking vaccine status, even though at the time that I went, it was mandated by law. I mean, it was clear as day in the text of the executive order that these places were covered. And not only were the kind of workers of these places not checking vaccine status, they were almost totally unaware that they even had an obligation to check vaccine status. Like there were some people who were just good natured people who actually probably would have, you know, instituted some kind of regimen where they were checking vaccine status. If they were even aware that the order existed, but they weren't. Um, There was only one person amongst those I surveyed who had the faintest clue that there was some kind of vague requirement to be checking vaccine status. This was at a a restaurant. Um, And but they said that they just weren't doing it anyway because no one was. I mean, they went to other places throughout the city and there was just nobody checking vaccine status. So, of course, they wouldn't bother. And there was no repercussion for it. So, clearly, this was only a PR initiative on behalf of the mayor who ha- happens to be up for re-election this May. Um, the re-election bid is almost entirely uncontested at this point. So, it's pretty clear that Ross Baraka will win overwhelmingly regardless. But... You know, my my theory as to why the city subsequently got rid of this after I inquired is that, you know, it's kind of embarrassing for a mayor, you know, on his, you know, mayoral authority to issue an executive order that's so sternly worded and so kind of um, dire in its prognostications about the purported public health emergency you know, for, that, for an order to be issued that kind of mandates a policy like this and then it's just not enforced and it's entirely ignored. And that's just sort of embarrassing just about his own authority or credibility as, as mayor. So like I mentioned, um, once I did this survey this week, I emailed the mayor's uh, kind of office and just let them know that, you know, I didn't name the places that I went to because I didn't want to get anybody in trouble on the off chance that they, you know, decided to go around extracting fines. Um, but I let them know that there was just no compliance at all with this measure that I could observe anyway and uh, asked for a comment. Didn't really get a comment. And then uh, the following day, the uh, measure was rescinded. Now, like I said, I can't attribute the, that rescission solely to me. <laughs> but, you know, I, I think it's uh, worth noting that, you know, uh, other than me, this 
policy probably would have gotten almost no attention at all in any media um, because, you know, Newark is not like a center of attention. Uh, and at the same time as Baraka repealed the proof of vaccine requirement, he also extended the mask requirement. So it's not like they had some, you know, burning desire to get rid of any remaining uh, COVID regulations. Uh, so, you know, maybe I had some role there, you might surmise. Um, and I just think it's worth sort of uh, parsing through because, you know, there's, uh, it, it's just funny because if you look at Canada right now, there's a state of, emer- uh, unpre- you know, fairly unprecedented state of emergency that's been declared that encompasses the whole country just because they can't, even the protesters can't get a mandate removed and you know i kind of mosey on over to a fairly large city and just do some kind of trivially basic reporting and then all of a sudden you know within 24 hours they get rid of the thing unceremoniously um so i just found that amusing and uh sort of a uh, an interesting contrast uh binationally um so yeah i'm just sort of curious if anybody here in the um in the in the call-in chat, uh, has any kind of similarly uh, absurd anecdotes or experiences with how the the passport system is or is not being enforced in their area, and um, how intently you think that the uh, elected officials in the area are clinging to that passport system, um, and whether you think that they'll you know follow the seemingly recent uh, trend and get rid of it in short order. Um, as some of you might know, if you've listened to uh, previous episodes of Call that I've done uh, with, with Chris Arnotti, we actually have a standing bet where uh, Chris Arnotti was certain that by April 1st of this year, New York City would have gotten rid of its vaccine uh, passport system. And uh, I said at the time, no way. I mean, this was about a month ago or so that we did this bet. And I, I was almost just as certain that they would not get rid of it. So we had a bet about whether it would be gone by April 1st. And uh, I have to say that I'm less confident uh, in my betting capacities at this point. Um, I think still if there's a decent likelihood that it will remain in effect in New York City because it will be one of the last holdouts probably uh, by October by Sorry, April 1st. Um, but, you know, there is clearly a uh, some momentum building for that repeal. And it doesn't look like to me that um, Eric Adams would be the most zealously kind of determined to keep a policy like that in place for as long as humanly possible, as opposed to some other potential uh, mayors who probably would have that kind of zeal. Um, so, yeah, I'm just... Uh, now happen to be getting ready to uh, at least attempt to take a little trip to uh, Ottawa, not because I think I'm going to be on the ground doing the most kind of like, you know, really uh, important and vital um, reporting on the actual kind of like mechanisms of the police removal tactics or whatnot, although I'll try to take a look at that if I can. Uh, but mostly because I want to uh, just take the temperature of the citizenry there in terms of how they're feeling about the state of emergency or the Emergencies Act indication that Trudeau um, declared this past week. Because the more I look into it, the more I kind of read into 
the history of this act and the, the powers that it confers to uh, a prime minister who invokes it, the more extreme really it comes across as. And, uh, you know, for that to be the situation in Canada is quite striking. Um, so I'm sort of primarily interested in gauging kind of public sentiment toward that act uh, more so than, you know, thinking that I'm going to be doing kind of bombshell on the ground reporting about the actual police tactics. Although, again, I will try to get get a sense of that, you know, when, once I'm there. So I'll, I'll get let everybody know about that. Um, and, uh, again, if you want to weigh in with any of your own anecdotes, please do. And uh, now we have Mateo, who always has something interesting to say and uh, doesn't hold back in his... Uh, <laughs> I have a in his passion. So uh, go ahead, Mateo. Good to talk to you again. That's really sweet, Mike. That's very sweet. Oh, yeah. I can occasionally be an abusive person on this medium and can occasionally be a major asshole, and that's a very nice way of putting things. I appreciate it. Uh, so, yeah, I think... I think <laughs> At uh, least you're self-aware about it. Oh, I'm painfully self-aware. Um, I think, uh, you know, I, I think what we're really seeing with, uh, with the whole Rona response in the U.S. is... Uh, just kind of the triumph of raw stupidity as a cultural value. Uh, you know, Americans don't believe in evolution in strict terms and biological terms, like more than 20% of us. Um, like more than half of us basically are kind of soft creationists. And then like another like quarter to a third of us on top of that are kind of squishy, uh, you know, realistic biological atheists that, that actually, you know, think about biology in the way uh, a, a scientist would. You know, it's a very, very low percentage of us. Of 330 million Americans, let's say 207. You know, the numbers are such that really only 50 or 60 million Americans are in reality in terms of biology and how it works, and operating from like a rational perspective that doesn't believe in. And how does that relate you know, to the COVID response? In well, your it relates absolutely, and it relates directly to COVID response because. You know, I think what we're seeing right now in the bluer cities, which consist of much more educated people, consist of people that actually create economic value, aren't just parasites like, you know, most of flyover is in, a, in economic terms. Um, those people know, uh, you know, they may not be as obsessive as me in terms of the research I've done on uh, who Delta killed and why Delta killed in America, which I did research obsessively for some strange reason. But we're aware of the fact that Omicron, you know, number one, it's almost gone. It's almost gone from almost all of the country except for Maine and Kentucky right now. Those are the only two states where Omicron is still kind of finding fresh victims because Maine and Kentucky are two of our most backwards, isolated rural states, you know, lucky to have power and plumbing. All right, I have to just stay. I have to stay for. I have to stay for the record. My uh, opposition to your uh, maligning of flyover country just to cover my. Oh, bases. I'm not maligning. But, them. Go ahead. I'm, I'm, I'm maligning the neglect that, that they experience. You know, well, but 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 I don't. I guess I, I'm not sure how it relates, uh, really, because these affluent blue areas are the ones with the vaccine passport systems, and if you've done such extensive research, you probably know that there's really no empirical evidence to suggest that such systems have had any impact at all on curbing transmission of the virus. So aren't they acting in an anti-scientific way or a soft creationist way by clinging to whatever kind of like political comfort they get by the enactment of these policies? Well, it's, you know, it's more just, there's a general, there's a general, um, 
you know, the kind of the kind of the Fauci kind of patronizing tone, um, which kind of assumes that we know the science and we're going to tell you what is happening is definitely played into this. It's played into a lack of awareness that, number one, uh, Delta and Omicron are very, very, very different diseases. Delta is probably like four or five times more lethal. Omicron can infect tens of millions in a, in a big country very, very quickly, but it's only going to kill like maybe a third of 1% of them. Whereas if you let the classic Corona and Delta run riot, you can really easily kill three, four, five percent of the community like the uh, like the big attack originally on in New York City uh, in early April two years ago. Right. That just racked up, uh, you know, the big fatalities because it's a very, very different disease. And so what you're really seeing in the past three, four months is on one hand, you know, you see the two extremes. You see a really horrible Delta Omicron mix. That, that killed uh, around 200 people a day in uh, in Pennsylvania, New York State, in Ohio, and Indiana, uh, in Michigan, uh, also you know significant in Wisconsin. Uh, a huge, huge body count two months ago. It didn't really that body count didn't do anything for Murdoch media, so it didn't exist, and it didn't really do anything. You know, liberals on the coast don't care if flyover Great Lakes is dying in, in massive numbers, uh, so it kind of didn't really happen. So you have you have two things. You have one, people weren't aware of how dangerous Delta was until about the 20th of last month, the 20th of January. It's still dangerous, like in way backwoods, Kentucky, Maine, like this week, but that's it. Um, uh, whereas a place like Cleveland was already over it like five weeks ago. But just the speed that Omicron worked, the lack of, of lethality uh, of Omicron. Okay, so very, I mean, just, very, to, very, just, very, to, just to sort of steer you somewhat to the topic. Yeah. Um, not that you're straying too far, but just uh, how, how in your mind does this relate to whether a city does or does not repeal its sort of proof of vaccine requirement at this juncture? Well, I, you know, ironically, I think as I look at the map right now of the U.S., I'm staring at as much as I as I kind of distrust the Salzburgers and their empire and uh, impart all kinds of bad motives for them. They did a really, really amazing job of uh uh, putting together a lot of data for uh, coronavirus. Um, and, you know, as I look at the map right now. At the New York and, Times, you mean? Yeah, the New York Times, right. Well, I mean, the New York Times, the Salzburger, same thing. It's there, and it's it's an extension of that. I know, but platform. everybody listening might not be aware of the ownership structure of the New York Times. Well, you have an extremely Times. sad audience, though, Michael. So they, they probably. That is true. Maybe, 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 I, maybe I shouldn't uh, doubt them. Anyhow, as I, as I look at the map right now, it's pretty clear that the same place that uh, that the only place that's still suffering and still getting fresh cases of Omicron is the place one of the places that got the absolute worst of the corona in all five waves. And that is like that five state meeting point of West Virginia, Kentucky, Virginia, uh, Tennessee, uh, North Carolina, South, the Appalachians where the Appalachians kind of uh, – uh, are their peakiest and, uh, you know, that kind of cultural pattern goes in those two plateaus in the Appalachians and to the west of them, you know, kind of the, the, uh, the holy land, the promised land of white trash, I guess, in the hills there. Um, <laughs> that's the only place that still has it. And that's the place that's least likely to actually say, hey, you should wear a mask. The Omicron's still around. You probably don't. Okay, again, again. So, uh, and I'm, I, I don't want to, uh, again, be rude. Mateo, because I wholly respect your passion, but I'm going to have to move on probably to somebody else. If I can't yeah, get yeah. you to steer, uh, if I can't steer you to the relatively no, steer me, more steer narrow me. You know, question, I'm you know, relatively yeah. narrow, 
Now, like, so there are no vaccine passport initiatives probably in that corridor that you're talking about with West Virginia. And right, right. Zero, of course. But, but, but in the more Democratic-heavy, COVID-conscious cities, Seattle, Boston, they're either getting rid of the vaccine passport systems or they're contemplating it and will do it more, uh, more than likely in the next couple of weeks. Now, is right, that right. indicative of true. their kind of soft anti-science kind of mentality? Uh, where they're also clinging to kind of creationist notions, um, or um, you know, is you know, like how, how does that how does that relate to this discussion? Because we we okay, I get the situation regarding Delta in you know the in Appalachia and whatnot. Well, it gets that's you know, not the subject gets, that I was really focused on. It gets to you know I mean there there are obviously two stereotypes at the extremes, and the, and the stereotype that uh, reactionary media you know likes to put out in terms of like kind of creating this alt-right paradigm of masculinity that, you know, just needs to work out and, uh, you know, get jacked up and get enough muscles to stop the virus, which is really how a lot of, like, young male conservatives think is they can uh, bench press their way out of a virus. Um, it's really, it's the, it's the two extremes are kind of both fading, and I'm seeing it here. I'm in a very liberal part of the country. Um, of course, I've been, you know, because I've been successful enough and a successful person in the U.S., the first thing they do is they get as far away from the more you talk with her, the more impressed I am with you. I have to say, I mean, I almost not. Uh, anyhow, the thing we're seeing lack of compliance here. I saw it last night. The grocery store in a very, very paranoid, mass compliant part of the country. Uh, you know, very liberal that actually took it seriously and had pretty much the lowest rate of infection in the, in the entire country, more or less because of it. There's thousands of dead people, people in the county that are not dead and not sick because we took masks and vaccines seriously uh, a year ago uh, when uh, Delta was kind of percolating in Idaho and then headed east, of course, uh, we're seeing lack of compliance because there is no, just as, you know, I might want to have some stereotype of like a knuckle-dragging uh, Fox News addict in a trailer, that one perfect platonic ideal does not exist, just as the perfect kind of lefty that really wants to triple mask and scold people that aren't triple masks, you know, three weeks after Omicron is left town, also doesn't really exist. So what you really see is you know, almost all, most Americans are going to be somewhere in between. They're going to hate the kind of pain in the ass of masks. They're going to hate the commercial interruption to retail and restaurants that's happened. And that has absolutely nothing to do with their politics at all. Everybody kind of wants that. And I think what you're already going to see in New York, L.A., uh, SF, uh, Seattle, Portland, uh, all the big lip cities is I think right now this weekend, you're already going to see people just kind of blowing off the mask thing, not really scolding somebody for doing the, the kind of dumb mask under the nose. I saw that last night while picking up burgers. He's a yeah. guy. Actually, he was wearing a UT jersey. So he was, he had the burnt orange and he had the mask under the nose. So he kind of had the two. All right, Mateo. Um, sorry, Mateo, to abruptly uh, throw you off the stage there. But uh, we got the point. Appreciate it. Um, I, again, I, I'm still sort of curious about what this indicates as to the feasibility of a lot of these kind of long-term initiatives, because like I speculated before, I, I really thought as of a month or two ago that if a city was going to be imposing a vaccine passport system, like Washington, D.C., Boston, Seattle, the quote-unquote big lib cities, they could if they wanted to, and if there was enough public sentiment in favor of they probably could justify indefinite vaccine uh, mandate checks or vaccine pass uh, record checking as just sort of like a general public health uh, endeavor that would last forever and would like 
protect everyone's health, regardless of whether Omicron was a, an acute concern at any given time, right? Because, you know, there's still the off chance that somebody could potentially be spreading some coronavirus, you know, whether it's related to COVID or some other disease, you know, in, in a restaurant. So if everybody's habituated to this, the normalcy uh, of, you know, restaurant workers or, whom, or whomever else being deputized to check vaccine status, I, I think there's a rationale embedded in that just to keep it in forever. But I, what apparently appears to be the case is that there isn't enough public sentiment, even in these heavily democratic cities, even in these highly COVID-conscious cities, to keep them uh, around indefinitely. And clearly in Boston, Michelle Wu, who's the new mayor, if you listen to what her rhetoric was when she first introduced the Boston policy in December, uh, they had a very straightforward sort of ideological uh, motive behind it. It wasn't even really about Omicron so much because they weren't even going to get the uh, policy in place until Omicron had either peaked or was close to peaking. What they said was that it was a kind of a long-term initiative to just get everybody vaccinated uh, come what may. Uh, because, you know, mass vaccination to them was like a political goal. Um, and, you know, so that that could still be just as salient of a goal now, conceivably today, uh, regardless of Omicron peaking or not. So I think it is kind of illustrative of the lack of uh, sentiment in favor of, of these policies now, again, even in the jurisdictions where you think there would be the most appetite for them. But I, that's just a preliminary theory. I don't know for sure. Uh, okay, when Go ahead. Oh, I'm sorry, Wynn. I just threw you out. Uh, come back on the stage. Um, that was my mistake. Uh, we'll take you after Suze. Uh, Suze, go ahead. Oh, okay. Now we're back to win. Okay, win. Go ahead. Sorry about that. Unmute. Yep. No worries. Um, yeah, I find this whole thing so hilarious. I was reading that Politico reporting about there was that kind of governor's um, meeting here in D.C. a couple weeks ago, and Chris Murphy comes. Apparently, he did all that focus group testing after he almost lost that throwaway election. Um, and that Chris, was a Chris Murphy. Time. Mean the the Connecticut senator. Yeah. Oh, wait, no. Who's the governor of um, Phil Murphy? Phil Florida, Murphy. Phil Murphy, New Jersey. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Um, but they had done, he had done. Right. Well, then just you know, the, the, the gubernatorial election in New Jersey last year was much closer than most pundits had forecasted to be. And Murphy did win, but by a narrower margin than was thought. Um, Go ahead. And, yeah. And so, and so the point of this is that I'm just saying, like, then, like, you know, you see, like, in the past two weeks, all of these governors, just all these liberal Democratic governors, just all at the same time pull off the vax mandates or the, you know, some of them pulled the masking rules, some of them haven't. But at that point, the, the evidence, the, the, the science was, there was no, there's no difference. I mean, I guess Omicron was pulling a little bit, but I guess the point is to show that this entire thing is more about like ideology and like people getting to claim themselves as experts or enlightened. Um, but then once the political calculations change they'll just they'll drop them immediately but i don't really know about the masking i mean the masking i could see them doing in perpetuity so i wonder what your bet is on that and then i'll hang up thanks yeah um well i don't know people say I, i've heard this talking about where the science hasn't changed but all of a sudden the democratic elected officials are concerned about their political fortunes and are therefore you know in mass take getting rid of all these regulations and such I don't know. I mean, couldn't they at least claim that the science has changed in the sense that Omicron 
is waning. I mean, I, 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 I still think there's probably an ideological or political component behind it. I mean, there always is in how they calculate these things. Um, but I think at least in terms of their publicly stated rationale, it would have a lot to, a lot to do with the apparent waning of Omicron. Although there is an irony, particularly in the case of Phil Murphy, who, uh, as I actually covered before on this call and on, on uh, Substack and elsewhere, just in January when Murphy's emergency powers rescinded, you know, he broker, had brokered a deal last June in uh, 2021 with the state legislature to extend certain of his emergency powers so he could continue keeping in place policies such as the uh, statewide mask mandate for schools. Um, and, you know, because of Omicron, Murphy claimed that it was such a dire threat. And it was such a risk, not just to school children, but everyone, that he needed to kind of finagle a new way to dec- unilaterally decree himself additional emergency powers to extend his powers that would have lapsed but for uh, la- because of lack of legislative action. So his uh, public health official, uh, as well as Murphy himself, concocted a whole new rationale about how uh, Omicron had allegedly put more people in the hospital in New Jersey than even the initial wave in spring of 2020, which, if true, would have been extremely startling because New Jersey was hit pretty hard by that first wave and actually had the highest death rate uh, per capita of any state for a long time. Um, So for Murphy then to say that this Omicron wave was just as severe or even more severe, you know, the the layman probably would have been somewhat troubled by that. Um, But then it turned out when I looked into it and I, you know, inquired with the relevant public health officials in New Jersey, you know, they were counting, of course, these incidental hospitalizations, such as, you know, somebody goes in for uh, a kidney surgery and uh, tests positive and then it gets counted as a a COVID hospitalization. Uh, and they even acknowledged that they were counting incidental uh, admissions, and yet they were still sort of you know, uh, overt in uh, using that figure to justify Murphy's extension of these emergency powers through just kind of unilateral executive action. Um, so for them, just like for then Murphy, like a month uh, or less later, to be going to D.C. and counseling his you know fellow Democrats to take a more kind of balanced approach. I mean, it's like whiplash. Um, and so, yeah, I mean, I, I, I kind of thought that the – I have to revisit some of my priors on this because I, I kind of thought that the continuation of the proof of vaccine requirement would be easier to justify as a measure that would last in perpetuity because, you know, somebody already gets vaccinated. They, you know, it, it's something you have to do once or twice, you know, twice to get to be full, fully vaccinated and then, you know, maybe boosted. So it's only three times that you actually have to do something on your own initiative, right? And then you have, you know, apps set up where you could just flash your car and then you're, you're home free in your, in your restaurant, your cafe or, or whatever. So I, I, I thought that would probably be less burdensome for most people who had gotten vaccinated than kind of perpetual mask mandates. And yet it does seem like uh, maybe mask mandates, at least in particular settings, are going to be continued more, uh, uh, continued at a greater kind of uh, frequency than these proof of vaccine mandates, which I I find counterintuitive. I don't know, maybe I'm overgeneralizing based on what's happened this past couple of weeks with these cities rescinding it, but uh, it seems contrary to my expectations. So I'm not exactly sure what to make of it. Um, all right, let's go to Suze. How are you, Suze? 
Hi. Um, so I'm in Minnesota and mm -hmm. we had vaccine mandates for like, I don't know, two months maybe. Um, which, which mandates in particular, like proof of vaccine mandates to enter into restaurants? Because I know that was instituted in the Twin Cities. Yeah, just to go into restaurants and bars. That was it. And it was just, um, that was just, that was just Twin Cities, right? It wasn't statewide. Oh, yeah. I'm sorry. I just say yeah, yeah. Minnesota and I'm, I'm in Seattle. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> Got it. Yeah. Yeah. Um, and, like, we, I don't know of any opposition that anyone had to it. I've never, I mean, there's no, like, protest or anything against that here that I've ever seen. Um, mm -hmm. So, to me, and, you know, it, it was rescinded, you know, just not too long after Amir Locke was killed by police. And mm. we... You know, there's a huge uproar about that. And then there's also, like, the sentencing of Kim Potter um, for shooting Dante Wright. Um, so it seems to me, like, at least I've heard other people saying that this could be kind of either time to distract from that or to, I'm thinking, like, maybe rescind it when no one's paying attention and it can't be perceived as, like, capitulating to anything. Uh, Wait, so, so has it been rescinded in Minneapolis, in St. Paul at, at this point, or is it still in effect as of today? I have to, I no, it was rescinded, like, at least a week ago. Okay. And, like, it wasn't even like Omicron, at least from what I was seeing, it wasn't even like we were down in cases all the way. So it didn't seem to be based on any sort of, like, that kind of justification. And, and so, it's, so, like, it's like, so strange, right? Because, I mean, maybe there is some – sorry to interrupt, and I'll let you continue, but just to give a thought – it's very, it really is strange, right? Because these cities actually, you know, I watched the full press conference when the mayors of both Minneapolis and St. Paul, Fry and the other, and the St. Paul's mayor, mayor's name is escaping me now. Um, when they got together and did like this joint announcement, yeah, Carter, did this joint announcement where they were kind of um, collaborating with one another to put a standardized system in place for proof of vaccine uh, requirements across uh, the Twin Cities. Um, and so what? You're only going to leave that in effect for a month? I mean, you can partly even generate compliance for anything, uh, any public policy within a month. Um, so, like, what was the point? I mean, it's just – it really is weird. I mean, it t often takes more than a month to just get, like, the basic enforcement mechanisms in place for, you know, violations or whatever. So for them to have gotten rid of it so soon, I mean, it's very curious. And uh, I, I, I think it's reasonable to speculate there is some kind of, like, political motive, whether it's because of those other events with, you know, police shootings or whatnot. I, I don't know. I, I don't have – I mean, maybe I have to go back to Minneapolis uh, and look into it further. Um, but there, there, there's something strange going on with it. So I guess your, you know, your theory is that what exactly? I mean, what, what do you think is the explanation for why they got rid of it so quickly? So I, I think that, you know, maybe they saw that there was starting to be protests relating to this. And they're like, we don't want to deal with anything like that. Because to me, it seems like anywhere where there is, you know, protest against it or there's pushback, that they're not wanting to give up. Or at least if they give up on the passports or on the mandates, they don't want to be perceived as they're doing that because of the pressure. I feel like that's the trap that they've gotten into in Canada. And like that might even that's why I'm not as optimistic about it being dropped in New York, because there are protests in New York, like pretty small, but people are getting arrested for protesting it. Um, so I feel like they just don't want to get into this kind of they just want to still be perceived as being in control and that they probably know that 
they're not going to be super effective in doing anything with those kind of fast forwards that if they just don't want to get themselves into a political situation anymore. Yeah, I, I just, you know, if you introduce a policy, and it's an unprecedented policy, like nothing like this has ever been implemented anymore anywhere in the U.S., uh, to my knowledge, uh, until very recently with this wave of cities doing it, you know, as related to Omicron. Although, you know, it started actually last summer with like San Francisco and New York and such. But, you know, m- more kind of mid-sized and other cities carried forth with it, especially prompted by Omicron. At least they claim prompted by Omicron. So to introduce a policy with such fanfare as, you know, being of such urgency... Um, and then to get rid of, rid of it within a month, I mean, that to me almost smacks more of incompetence than, than they have if they had just stuck with it for some period of time. And I don't think we're ever yeah. going to have resistance to it here. So, right. I don't, I'm, so they are, I'm just wondering also, like, maybe it just was so bad for the bars and restaurants. I mean, I feel like... Well, have you, have you gone anywhere where it's being enforced? Like, what, what is your impression of how it's enforced or not? I haven't. I, I didn't go to anywhere during it because even even if I considered it, I just realized, oh, I don't have my vaccine card on me. I don't have a picture of it anywhere. So if I just wanted to want a whim, go to a bar or restaurant, I couldn't. So I don't know. Maybe other people are more. I feel like it would create that extra barrier for people to go these places, even if they're not specifically not going for that reason. They just it might hurt their business that way, but. I, I didn't go to anywhere, so I can't contribute in that way. But. Yeah, you know, I, I don't know how uh, much to extrapolate from my experience in, uh, in Newark, which, I, which, as I mentioned earlier on, is sort of you know, distinct from these other more affluent cities and where I think enforcement would probably be a bit more scrupulous. Um, but, you know, if the enforcement quality in Newark is anything like it is in the Twin Cities, then it's just a total farce. So, like, I mean... At a certain point, it kind of undercuts people's uh, belief in the authority of the city government if you have a policy in place that just nobody is really abiding by. Or if they do, it's extremely cursory and perfunctory and they're just doing it like as, you know, just uh, a performance or just as a uh, formality or something. So I I don't know. I think there's a – it's an interesting question as to why these cities have – so quickly uh, move to get rid of it, and uh, I'll, I'll keep looking into it and uh, let, let everybody know if I come up with any additional theories. All right, uh, thanks, Suze, and uh, thanks for everybody for uh, tuning into this uh, somewhat impromptu call-in. Like I said, I'm uh, going to be en route to uh, Ottawa this afternoon, so I'll let you know if I come across uh, anything interesting on that score. All right, really take care, everybody. To bye-bye. Really your reporting from there. All right, thanks, Suze. All right, bye-bye.